Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. I have a message. The difference between a message and a sermon, there's nothing wrong with sermons. They are put together uh, theologically. There's nothing wrong with theology. In fact, you need good theology. It's bad theology that messes us up. Uh, But I'm almost overwhelmed this morning. And it hit me when I walked in the door of this building. I'm going to tell you something. I don't want you to take your own sit. Just sit down. I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to be arrogant. I'm not trying to say that I'm any better than anybody else or anything but that there's one thing in life I know. I know his presence. When I walked in this building, I was almost overwhelmed. My legs were shaking. My body was trembling. And all I could think of is Jesus is here. Jesus is here. There's a difference in getting an email from somebody and sitting down with them over coffee. There's a difference between uh, sending a text message and making a phone call. We've, We've become a little less personal and detached. But I want to tell you, God doesn't send emails. And he won't text anything to your cell phone either. But if you meet with him, he'll give you a message. Sometimes it might be a sermon. And here's the word, homiletically correct. You know, I'm supposed to talk about this at a certain time and that at a certain time and it all leads to, you know, you're familiar with it. I don't have one of those today. I just have a message. And as I was, um, my wife can tell you, I was getting ready to take a shower and and it hit me. It hit me hard. I I did not know yet what I was going to preach. It's not because I don't have any content. <laughs> I've written 38 books. I, we could spend a week on any one of them, and I would, I would probably take that to get finished with teaching out of them. I, I got plenty of stuff to say, but I don't want to know. I don't want to just say anything to everybody. I want to say something to somebody. I'm going to say that again. I don't want to say ev- anything to everybody. I want to say something to somebody. That's the way Jesus talks. He's he's, he's like Zacchaeus. He'll call you out of the crowd. What attracted him to Zacchaeus? Some kind of desperate need and desire. A short man climbed a tree and Jesus honored that kind of faith. 
You've been climbing a tree here. And I want to tell you, he's noticed. Like I'm starting to say, I don't want to be arrogant, but one thing I know, I know his presence. And Jesus is here. To David and Nicole, all I can tell you is we're back where we once were. Where we've always wanted to go back. But sometimes the door just doesn't open. And so you have to passionately knock. And you've been knocking for a, a good while now. And I want you to know, he's, he's heard, you he heard you ring the doorbell. And the curtains, before the veil, the, curtain, the veil and the curtains in the temple and the tabernacle had the glory of God behind it. We still don't know. I've been preaching 50 years. We still don't know how the priest got behind the veil. We have no idea. Whether there was a slit in it, whether they crawled under it, whether somebody lifted it up. We don't know. It's, ne- it's just not told to us. But there would, there would come a time that, that the glory of God dwelled behind there and they were fearful of it because it, the, the glory of God's dangerous. Don't, don't chase God if you don't want him. And they would somehow get behind there but they'd tie a rope around one of the priest's legs in case he died because nobody would go retrieve him. But why? Because it had happened before. Glory met evil. When they tried to transport God's presence on an ark instead of the shoulders of the priest. And the guy reached out and he thought he was doing good. He reached out to steady the ark when it hit a bump. And instead of steadying the ark, it's like lightning burst from that ark. And the only way I know to describe it to you is have you ever scraped your feet across the carpet on a cold winter day and touched something or your friend's nose and that little... Well, that's electricity. How many of you like electricity? I'm serious. How many of you like to stay warm? Okay, you love electricity. How many of you like to eat? You love electricity. But electricity in too much form is dangerous. If you know what you're doing, we have men that we hire that we pay them a lot of money because they know how to run the wiring without everybody in the building dying. I remember when I was I worked construction when I was in my 17, 18, and I remember helping wire my first house. I was scared to death when they turned the power on that the whole thing would burn up because I just knew I had done, done a wire crossways. But I learned about the principles of electricity. Do you know that electricity does not flow inside the wire? It flows along the outside of the wire. It's actually flowing through the insulation. It's electrons moving and if you, no, no, you, you told me you liked electricity, didn't you? Yes. Okay, let's see here. I got, I got, 
I got once I got something plugged. I, I'm going to take that wire right there, cut it, peel back so there's two bare wires. And you love electricity, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to let you grab both of those wires at one time. How much do you like electricity now? Anybody ever been shocked? I mean, not static shock, shock shock. Whew. That, <laughs> your whole nervous system goes into overload. It's just not, we're not made to carry electricity. But when his glory, God, God put himself behind a veil because the, the disobedience and the disbelief in his people put them at danger. When they go, and it's, it's not God's fault. He's not trying to kill anybody. He, that's why he said, put a veil there, do this, do that. Do a, he, he, he was teaching them the principles of worship from which we derive everything we do today. And in the process of that, hey, Steve, is that you? Look like the one, you look like whoever you are. You look like one of my old missionary friends from Peru. I thought he was here yesterday or at the funeral I walked in. I thought it was. Uh, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by what I feel here. I'm not disappointed because of the number. We're, we're not after a number. We're after God. And when, a, when God is involved, numbers become immaterial. They just don't, they don't matter. One of the things I want to say to you, I, I wrote down, I can't hardly read. Thank you for, I told David, you need to sing that song to Ukraine. Thank you for, that was, what you said was perfect. Um, I don't even know how many times I've been to Ukraine. I don't know. More than 20. I can tell you that the largest revival that's gone on in the last 10 years has been in Europe, largely unnoticed by the American church. But I, I, I invited David and Gracie uh, to go with there. Hi, sweetheart. You didn't hug me. Yeah, you get yourself up here and give me a hug. Look at that. I was young and could bounce up those steps one time. Gracie, our friends in France are in danger. They are. And uh, I'm going to talk about Ukraine. I, I, I don't know how many people people I've preached to in Ukraine, but it would be over a half a million in different churches and had spiritual sons. One of them, he grew so large that at just his Bible school had 20,000 students. There are, Ukraine has been swept by revival while in Russia it's been strangle held. And it's just the way it is. I'm, I'm, I've been to Russia about 12 times. I, 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 I'm just telling you. It's not, it, they, in Ukraine, they are freedom-loving people. And I think the, the Russians are freedom-loving people. And I'm not trying to get political, but I am trying to be spiritual. Yeah, yeah. 
Because you better, if you're not aware, things happening in our world today will knock you off kelter if you don't get a, a true north bearing and you know what you're supposed to be doing. So uh, I, I just want to let you know what you're supposed to be doing, praying. And I'm talking about praying seriously. Here, here's what I wrote down because I wanted to make sure I said it right. And I was so, I was so moved in here. I did not know that I would, I would even be able to get up to, to speak. Because he's here. Yes, 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 yes. I would rather be one time in a place like we were in this morning than a hundred times of singing stale songs from an unimpressed heart. I have, we're able to be in touch with one person in Ukraine. It's the only one that we're able to touch base with. And he stayed cheerful, but that's just his personality. One of my translators for a long time. He kept, I sent him, my wife sent him a picture because I look a little different, don't I? I don't know whether I was going for the Elijah look or the Moses look. I'm not, not sure. But, to, but to, to today, I'm going to be Moses. Kind of, I'm going to preach some Moses stuff. So I'm just, just Moses. Yeah. It's okay to have boyhood. I, my boyhood idols were Elijah and Moses. Yeah. Man, those were some dudes. <laughs> they, yeah, yeah. Mm, they were bad. Mm. Uh, so I know I know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about something I don't know. I'm as, I'm, I'm as familiar with downtown Kiev as I am with downtown Chicago or and any of the other places I've been. And I, I know my way around. I know what hotels. I know I, 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 I have hundreds of thousands of people. You imagine you go teach at a Bible school every August that there's 20,000 students sitting in, sitting in the room. And if you miss a day, they, they check you by armbands when you come in. And if you miss a day, you have to go talk to somebody to get permission to come back in. Because he has a waiting list so long that can't get in the building and there's 20,000 in there. Isn't that amazing? I'm, not, I'm talking about Bible school. Oh, yeah, we had worship. Because if I'm there, we're going to worship. And we had all of these things. And I went, where we just went to, many of your brothers and sisters in Ukraine have gone to that place too. And we joined with them in heavenly intercession as we begin to pray because oppression is evil. Come on. You, 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 I'm, 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 I'm not trying to be patriotic, I'm not, but I'm trying to be spiritualotic. Oppression is evil. Slavery was oppression, that was evil. Oppression in any form is evil. And if it's, it's a fight, I'm, I'm not surprised, to be honest. After knowing the situations, I wasn't taken off, off guard by it. I'm, I'm hurt. I'm passionate. But I wasn't surprised because as I started to put the pieces together, I know about revivals in France, revivals in Portugal, revivals in um, uh, 
I can't even think of the rest of the country. Uh, yeah, the United Kingdom, London. There, London has more people attending church now than ever in its history. Historically, they have. The churches in England are larger now than they were in, even in the times of, they talked about the great revivals in Whitfield and all. It, it, not, it's, it's, it, it's overwhelming. They're not in traditional churches. They're hunting for churches like this where they can come in and meet God. Because I've met enough men. I want to meet God. I love people. I'm passionate about God. That's one thing I wanted to say. Thank you for singing that song. All oppression is evil. Don't be ashamed to call it what it is. How many of you are saying, I'm not ashamed? Uh, Oppression is evil. What's happening in Ukraine right now is raw oppression and subverted power. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to be patriotic. I'm not asking you to join the army, but I am asking you to join the intercessors. We fight a little different. We fight dirty. We infiltrate behind enemy lines. We build churches of 20,000 in Paris when they had those cathedrals are empty. We don't fight fair. God puts us undercover. I've been able to be a part of some of that and God willing, I'm, I'm going to be able to go back. I, I plan to go back. Uh, did you ever come with me to Ukraine? Never been to Ukraine. Wow. Let's go. Yeah. You don't know how close last night I just thought about, I, I, I told them, they were saying any able-bodied man, they would give him a gun. Well, what American's not going to go over there and say, yes, I, I'm signing up for that? <laughs> Sorry, I'm not, I probably shouldn't have said that, but I was you know, a little, but. I, I, I'm old, old Look, I grew up, you guys know who Doug Dynasty is? The places where they film all of their stuff. I grew up right in those same places. I know the swamps they're in. I know Shinny Lake. I know all of these. I just can tell about I didn't watch, I didn't know Doug Dynasty was even a thing until I came home from a trip and my wife is belly laughing in our bedroom. She's just laughing and laughing and I... I I'm curious. I leave my office and go back up to where she is. I want to see what she's laughing about. I mean, because she wouldn't stop laughing. And she's watching Doug Dynasty. And you got to know, that's not her. She's no Doug nothing. I took her deer hunting one time. And she took a McCall's magazine and a puppy out to the deer stand with her. <laughs> and I figured out that that didn't work. And, oh, it was cold in the tent. We had no heat in the tent. And that just, just what, would you, what you expect, but not her. <laughs> then she, I really got in trouble when she said, where's the bathroom? I said, oh, well, we just go find a tree. She said, I don't, I can't, don't, a, a tree? <laughs> I said, find a big one. 
She's never gone back hunting with me again. And she's watching Duck Dynasty, just belly laughing at the antics of these people. And she said, she married me. She's from Illinois, southern part of Illinois, right by St. Louis. And when she married me, the first revival we went to was in Thibodeau, Louisiana. And the first common meal we shared with the pastor and church staff was a crawfish boil. And she had said, where are the forks and knives? I said, you, you don't need them. How many of you ever eaten crawfish? Ooh, that's good. We'll get a little bit of that when we get to heaven. And I had to teach her how to, how to now she can peel with her nails, she can peel faster than me, and she will out-eat me in crawfish. So I made her an honorary Cajun. Even though she was born in Virginia and grew up in Illinois, she's the honorary Cajun. And I'm... And I, I'm amazed because why I would not if I would you if you told a TV show and expected her to be watching I, I, w- I would never have said Duck Dynasty and said what in the world are you, why are you watching this I might be interested in it but because I know right where they are I know the old Howard Building that their offices are in that's where I grew up in Monroe and West Monroe and she said I'll tell you why it's funny to me. Because when I married you, I came down here and met all those people just like what's on TV. <laughs> and she said, I just think it's hilarious that the world is discovering that you Cajuns are crazy. <laughs> so, oppression is evil. Don't be ashamed call it what it is. There's going to be pushback from people. But I'm telling you again, I'm going to say it one more time, and I mean you better listen because I'm I'm Moses today. Oppression is evil. If you ever get to where you don't call evil, evil, you have gone into a twisted realm. You've got your wires crossed somewhere. We can fix it. But you need repair. Yes. So good. So good. Archimedes, I looked this up while I was sitting down there because I knew he said it, but I wanted to be exact with what he said. Archimedes, you know who Archimedes is? Oh, you crazy bunch of people. Don't you read? Okay, Archimedes was one of the Greek uh, philosophers. Uh, the Parthenon in Greece, have you ever seen pictures of that? Okay. He's the guys that built that, and it's still standing. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and it survived earthquakes. Yeah. And there's parts of it torn down, but it's 2,000 years old. Wow. They learned how to build. The Greeks, the ancient Greeks, they built stuff that's still existing today all, all over the Grecian area. And Archimedes said this, Give me a place to stand... Uh, he actually, I'm going to read two translations of it for you because it was in Greek and translated. I'm going to read two, two translations. Give me a firm spot on which to stand and I will move the earth. Wow. He's, another one said, give me a place to stand and a lever long enough and I will move the world. How many of you understand the principle of a lever? Did you learn that in school? 
you know, you take a board. If you wanted to lift that up and that's too heavy to lift it up, you put something right here. You take that board and you run it across there and you get on this end of the board. And the, the heavier that is, the longer your board needs to be. And the stronger your fulcrum needs to be. This, this thing that it, it sits on was called a fulcrum. That's how they built those buildings. They didn't have caterpillar diesels and, and John Deere and all, all. No, they did it by hand. But they were able to build those huge, still existent buildings because they understand how to lift something heavy. And they, it took hundreds of years before we even figured out what they were talking about. And it became known as the Archimedes Principle. That he said, if you give me a lever long enough, a firm place to stand, and a strong enough fulcrum, I can stand here at this end, and I can move the whole earth. I want to tell you what the kind of prayer I'm talking about does. It's a lever long enough stretches all the way to heaven and we just kind of like little kids grab onto it but then daddy says here I'm going to help you and he starts shoving it down and something on earth moves it changes it's rearranged it's it's the Grecian principles of architecture of our eyes respect certain rectangular distances it still it still exists so as, I, as we were praying and singing this morning, as I was talking in my mind to God about Ukraine, uh, and they started singing that song, because I'm, I'm, I'm a broken man this morning. Uh, you, you have no idea how much something like that can affect you. We haven't seen anything like this in our lifetimes. Right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And we, we need to know where to stand. Yeah. He, remember what he said, three things. A lever long enough, a fulcrum strong enough, and he said, a firm place to stand. You better find that firm place, that rock to stand on. If you've got a strong place to stand, you can put pressure on places that you never could apply pressure. And you may be a long distance away from it, but you can apply. So when we started interceding, they singing that song about, uh, uh, Gracie, what is the words? that He won't fail. Christ is a firm foundation. Oh, I'm over here. Where am I? Give me a firm place to stand. What's the next line? Well, you know what that means. That's, um, that's the firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad that I put my trust in Jesus. Jesus might be the fulcrum. I don't know. So we were we were doing something this morning. Yes, we were worshiping, but we are also battling. And I believe God heard. I finally got some relief and could stop crying. (laughs) To get up here and start crying again. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I'll preach. I've been preaching, you just didn't know it. 
call it sneaky preaching. I just don't announce that I'm preaching in the start. But I, I have to make sure I, you know, I've got to put, read a scripture and get in here because some people would think it doesn't matter if you quote 25 scriptures, we got to read one. <laughs> so I, you can read it. It's going to be Deuteronomy 2, verse 1 and 3, or 1, yeah, 1 through 3. Deuteronomy 2, verse 1 through 3. Now I'm talking to this church, okay? I was talking to the, what I was just doing, I was talking to the heavenlies. You were just a part of the audience. We were declaring things in heaven. That's what we've been doing all morning. Uh, But now I'm going to talk to Dwell Church. I I have a message for you. I'm going to give you the gist of it. God spoke it to me because it's it's crazy, but I literally was in the shower, started shouting for Jeannie to get my iPad, and I knew I can't bring my iPad in the shower to type, and I was, but I couldn't get out. I wasn't finished showering. I said, I got I got to get this down before I forget it, because you know God's word. You have to grab it. You, you if you just leave it out, the birds will eat the seed. You got to grab that seed when it comes in. Put it in your own mouth. Say that's that's my seed for me. I can't keep my thoughts straight because I'm just I'm so overwhelmed by what I sense. It just makes me want to do nothing but tell him I love him and ask him for help. That's ultimately what we have to do. Uh. Dwell Church, you have been on a journey. But now, I know the why. I know why you named the church Dwell Church. Now I know why physically we talked about it. But I also know why spiritually, and I'm not sure that you've gotten the spiritual side of it. It's one thing to travel through the wilderness. But it's another thing to dwell in Canaan's land, to dwell in the promised land. It's one thing, let me say it again. Hopefully I can remember. I can't read my notes. I've got so many tears in my eyes. It's one thing for us to go on a journey through the wilderness. But it's another thing entirely when we dwell in the promised land. And you don't want to spend any more time traveling than it, than you have to. And the essence of what I'm going to say is going to talk to you about that because the children of Israel, here is a shocking statistic. And this, I know, I, I double-checked it this morning. It was 30 days' journey. They did not measure travel by the miles or kilometers in ancient times, they measured it instead of, in, in the ancient days, I should say, they measured travel by time. Not by, that's an eight-hour flight or that's a 10-hour walk. That it's, it was just, how many, how many days journey? Well, we know about Joseph and, and Mary going to Bethlehem. We got, there's different journeys all over the Bible. But the, the children of Israel, when they left Egypt, now this, this is shocking, but it's absolutely true. They were 30 days away from their destination. The travel time was 30 days. 
And I, I know that. I can prove it. I, I've, I've even seen the calculations and people drawing it on maps and graphs and everything. But instead, it took them 40 years. And then another 40 years. But God wasn't counting their progress in miles or kilometers. He was counting their, pro, their, their progress in what's happening in here and with him. And he did not want, because he was trying to grow them up so they don't have fear. Because the first time they approached the promised land, Joshua sent out some spies and they came back and they said, yeah, that's it. That's just like it's been described to us. Let's, let's go get it. But 10 of them added a PS. By the way, there's giants there. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, <laughs> essentially, what are you waiting on? Let's go. And they withstood the people. Do you know that by the time they got to the promised land, the only original people that were still alive was Joshua and Caleb. Do you know why? Okay, I'm going to talk to you about vaccinations. I'm fine. Vaccinate yourself every time you get a chance. I'm not opposed to that because I understand how vaccinations work. It tricks your body into fighting something that otherwise it wouldn't fight or be prepared to fight. So Joshua and Caleb lived in faith and the rest of the people lived in fear. If faith is a car in drive going forward, fear is a car in reverse going backwards. They operate on the same principles. The scripture says, that one prophet said, that which I greatly feared has come upon me. That was Job. That which I greatly feared. If you fear something big enough, it will manifest itself in your future. But if you faith yourself big enough, your mountains will turn into molehills. Because he said, if you have faith, you can speak to this mountain. Well, give me that long lever, I'll move a mountain. So the rest of the people, you see, a pandemic swept through all of Israel and they caught the fear flu. And it was 100% deadly, killed them all. And God had to wait for another generation. A generation was born, that's 40 years, and they matured. And then another generation is born, it's 40 years, and they matured. Because the first time they approached, they were a fearful people. The 10 spies disagreed with the two spies. And they all said, the giants are too big, we're like grasshoppers. And they, they lived in fear. And God said, okay, it's time to turn around. Why? Turn around. You know how they arrived at... Dra- traveling in the, in the wilderness, they followed a cloud by day and a fire by night. That means sometimes you've got to travel at night, but God will light your path and give you heat for the cold night if you walk under the fire. This fear and faith thing is powerful enough to revolutionize your life. Fear, I'm going to say it again, is the opposite of faith. It functions, fear stops your progress and reverses you. Because you, you ever, you ever heard, listen to our language, we'd say, how are you doing? Oh, afraid I'm catching a cold. 
what in the world are you doing chasing it? That's, but we don't think about it. But that's a part of our language. I'm afraid I'm catching a cold. Well, you'll probably catch one then. I can almost guarantee you. Why? Fear actually causes physical changes in our body. Faith causes changes in our soul. And when our soul is nourished more than our body is nourished, that's the principle of fasting. When our soul is nourished more than our body is nourished, God pays attention. Why? Because the baby won't eat. You know what fasting is? Fasting is me coming home from a trip and one of my daughters being sick or now my grandkids being sick and Jeannie say, Oh, he's, he's very, very sick. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want that. I don't like that. But fear will manifest those things. And if, you, if you're faithful, so what happens is when, when, as you're, you're like a baby and God's like the heavenly father. And, and don't think you're grown up yet. I'm not. I've been preaching 50 years and I don't, I don't know squat diddly. Sorry if that was cussing for you, some of you. Get over it. I don't know squat. I'm learning every, all the time. I take notes every day of my life. I get downloads from heaven, and I'm so grateful for it. So, when... We walk by faith and not by sight. Our faith activates heaven. When we fast, it's like my wife telling me, Tommy, something's wrong with the baby. We won't eat. Well, they've got to get him to a doctor. Why? Because you can't survive without eating. Do you know what fasting does? Fasting turns down the noise level of your normal life. Fasting is like this, and I'm telling you this because Pastor David mentioned something about fasting and what, what, what's been happening around here. When you, when you fast, God says something's wrong with the baby. It won't eat. Literally. And I have had times in my life where I said, God, until you do something, I am not stopping this fast. There have been two times in my life I've done that. And I went for exactly 40 days, and God spoke to me. They lifted. But it almost was like he wasn't there. I know what it's like. My mom and dad got worried about me. My wife was worried about me. But I was okay. I just, like that, like that baby that won't eat, I would cry all the time. And something needed to be adjusted in the heavenlies and and I, I, can't, I have to tell you that two things break through any defensive things that are around you. Two things that will break through the walls that try to be built around you. One is faith, like I just spoke about. Whew, I feel his presence so strong in here. One is One is faith. The other is giving. Wow. Giving breaks bonds too. Yes, yes. So giving sets you up to operate on heaven's economy yeah. instead of the earthly economy. Yeah. Giving sets you up to uh, 
process things in a spiritual way. Yeah. And why? Because a, a, a natural smart man, I'm not giving my money away. Yeah, but you, you, you met a natural smart man. There's a lot of those around. They make a lot of money. But they die just like everybody else. And smart men may know how to make money, but a spiritual man knows how to connect with God. And your life will be a hundred times more impactful. If you know how... I want to be the person... One of the things I kept telling David when we were traveling together over those years, one of the things that always shocked me, David was a king and he sat on a throne. So he understood the power of sitting on a throne. He got it. Right. It, it, that's, it was normal, natural. In fact, he was destined for that. He was born. He was practicing kingly things when he killed giants. He was practicing kingly things when he killed lions and bears. He, that, why? Because a normal man can't do that. Right, right. So he understands the power, and, but he also knew where his power came from. Yeah, yeah. Here's what David said. I would rather be a doorkeeper at the right door what door? the door that opens to his presence I would rather be a doorkeeper I would rather be the guy that opens the door for you to experience God I'd rather be the one that knows how to put my hand on the handle and jiggle the lock just right and pull it open and the glory of God just beams out and people can see God through you opening because they've never seen do you know you're, you have friends that never felt what we felt in this room this morning? The completeness of emotion, the, 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 the overwhelming sense. They, they've never, they've never they don't, they don't know about, about that. And it's your job to tell them and let them know. Because you're, you're now, you've been on a journey, but you're now approaching the promised land. The biggest test is going to be ahead of you, not behind you. Sorry, David. It's just the way it is. What, what, what was it? Well, the Jordan River was the demarcation line. On one side of the river was wilderness, on the other side of the river was Israel. And they had to, they had to, the first time, they did not make it over the Jordan. The second time, Joshua led the parade differently. I can hear some of those old people have been alive there say, well, he's not doing it like Moses did. Well, he's not Moses. <laughs> Pastor David may not do it like I do, or, but he's your, he's your Moses. He's your Joshua. Yeah. Joshua led them through by, by carrying the ark on the shoulders, which is worship. He led worship into the middle of a river and it stopped the water north and south. And they walked through on firm ground. Normally ground would be muddy, but when they stopped it, God used a heavenly hair dryer and dried up the mud because he didn't want to get them bogged down when they're going through it. You are approaching a destination that you've been traveling toward for some time now. And I want to tell you, you've done a good job, but you're approaching something. That's the main explanation for what I want you to get from me today. You are approaching something. Now, it may not happen as fast as you want it because you're not in charge. And you want to know the truth? David and Nicole's not in charge. I love that them conferring on how many times have I leaned over to Jeannie and, and we're getting old where it, she can't hear me and I, she has to try see my lips to read what I'm saying. <laughs> I can't hear her. We, can't, we can't, just can't talk while worship's going on. 
I wanted some of these little mints. I had to tell her three times. She was getting me water. She was getting me everything else. And finally got the mints. <laughs> but I love it that David and Nicole uh, conferred with one another about the direction of the service and how to do this. That's the way. What, what incredible leadership that is. Showing e e equality of spouses in a marriage in a, in a pastoral position. You, 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 people don't see that all, every day. Oh, look, Dwell Church does. That's why we're Dwell Church. We, we, you've been named Dwell because you have a destination. But you've really been traveling. And that, that, that travel is, is bringing you close. And I don't know that what, the Jordan, what your Jordan River will be, but there will be one. When I tell you, you better not get the fear flu. Jesus. Wow. Or otherwise, you'll just circumnavigate the wilderness. And, and God's clock, he is never in a hurry. He measures your progress internally by how much you've changed. And he measures your progress by how much you've changed. And your, it's not by, well, I've been traveling in the eight-hour flight. Well, you, you, listen, I've been on some eight-hour, I've been on some flights supposed to be two hours, and it took 18. You said, David, I, I think we've been stuck together some places. Uh, I had my own plane for years and they flew with me. And it, it, we'd come out of church and the pilot would say, the weather is too bad. And always trust the pilot. If you hire him, you better trust him. I said, that's right. Okay, get a, let's get a hotel. So you got that T-shirt? So that was counted as travel. But all we did is go over here and then go back or go alternate city and sit on the airport tarmac for three hours and won't turn on the air conditioning sweating bullets in that that airplane and he, you, you can say well I traveled eight hours today <laughs> where are you? right back where I started I don't think you want to do that I think you want to turn your journey into your dwelling that's the word for you, David. God wants to turn your journey into your dwelling because he's ready to transition you. And he's ready. I'm speaking the word of the Lord, you son. He's ready to transition you and Nicole. And uh, he is going to take you to places you've never dreamed of, but you're going to have to have faith. You're going to have to be generous. That's what that's what God that's what He looks at, and I know I know you will. I'm not worried about that, but I just wanted to tell, from from a long time traveler. I wanted to tell you that, that delay is possible, but if you don't want to get delayed, there's an easy solution for that. How many would rather just do, use the easy solution and not be de delayed? Would you? Okay, you you've not flown on airplanes. Anybody flown on a plane and it got delayed? Oh, okay, you have. So I didn't think so. Uh, 
delays just are one of the dangers of travel. It just goes with it, you know. It proves that he's there is a God and we're still little little humans. And uh, it's it's just it is. I mean, uh, who do you blame when they, they, you're stuck on a tarmac for ten hours? You can't blame the airplane. Can't blame. All you can say is it's a thunderstorm. Well, God made that, mm-hmm. and they don't mess with it either. Because you don't mess with Mother Nature. Oh, that was good. I should have write that down in my notes. You don't mess with Mother Nature. Mother Nature will humble a nation. Let one hurricane hit. Let one catastrophe hit. Let a 9-11 happen. And it'll bring a nation to its knees. Honestly, we're at a crucial point as a nation. It's in, it's in, it, maybe that's why I'm preaching under such a heavy load this morning is because I, I can feel in my spirit. I can hear gunshots in my spirit. And I, I can't touch base with my friends. And I, all I know is what's happening is evil. My dad used to quote a scripture whenever I'd have a hard trial or some craziness rise up and he was my authority for many years. He's gone on to glory. But he used to say, when I would, I would come in, I don't want to cry on his shoulder, you know, having problems at the the, or, or the God chasers or this is not going right or that's not going right. I'm just, I get frustrated. He said, Tommy, did you do anything? No. He said, okay. Then if you didn't do anything, God's not mad at you. So here's, I don't, I don't, I have to, I'd have to look the scripture up, but here's the scripture he would say. An enemy hath done that. An enemy has done it. If you're not capable to recognize enemies, you will be a casualty. You have to be able to know who an enemy is. And I can tell you right now, just plain out, one word, evil. Evil is our enemy. And faith stands firm in the face of evil and says, I, I tell you what's given me a little bit of heart, okay? I played it over and over for my wife. I probably wrote, drove her crazy last night, but I found I have found several videos of old Ukrainian people. I'm talking about 80 years old walking out into the street with Russian soldiers lined up and going up to the Russian soldiers and just get, I would, I would not dare say what I, they translated what that man said. It was not nice words. I, I don't know if that, cussing is a prayer, but it, it, was, it worked for him. He waved his finger. You could tell this 80-year-old man was stomping his cane and he, he was mad and he just gave him a good cussing. He said, you, you have your own country and we have ours. What are you doing here? That's what he said. And, and so my heart is lifted because I'm, I'm seeing that the seeds and I'm, let's call it freedom because the, the, we're, our ability together here to worship and do exactly what we're doing today, it all is because we have freedom. And I tell you, in Russia, they don't have that freedom. There have been churches that have sprung up, but they've all been squashed. I, I went to Russia uh, 12 or 15 times. I, I know, and, and, and some of them have existed as, as uh, small groups, and they're still doing okay. But 
openly things are, are, are terrible. And so I'm not trying to be political. Please, do you understand? I'm not trying to be political. I'm trying to be spiritual. This is not just a war against a, a, two associated groups of people. This is not just that war. This is the war that we that could usher in Gog and Magog. And I'll have to come to a prophecy conference so you, you can talk about that. Because that's that's what that's when that's when Russian armies and there's a battle in the mid, Middle East and well it, it it's all in the Bible. If you don't believe me, reading it. Uh, reading the Bible is dangerous, but only if you believe it. Reading the Bible is dangerous, but only if you don't believe it. It will mess your life up if you believe it. So let me just tell you that where you are right now. Um, this scripture, they probably took it down because I didn't use it for so long. It's still, I need it back up there. When you're traveling, there's a lot of time you spend on the phone with the airlines when you're stranded at a terminal. And I don't know if you have ever done that. I promise you, Pastor David has done it. And you're on, I was on hold with American Airlines day before yesterday for four hours. On hold to just try to get to a live person. And when I got one, they didn't know what they were doing. So frustrating to be put on hold. How, how many of you enjoy on hold music? Some churches, that's all they sing is on hold music. I'm trying. Some churches, they sing elevator music. Let's, let's not offend anybody. Let's not, uh, you know, not sing too loud and do this and don't do that. No, my God, what are you trying to do? When it says shout to the Lord, it doesn't say whisper. Yeah, he can hear you when you whisper. That's okay. But sometimes you just got to say, Daddy, I'm hungry. And he responds to that kind of passion. Listen, when a baby, we, we have a, a one-month-old in our family now and we have an eight-month-old. That eight-month-old, he loves to eat. He just started eating baby food last month. So just started eating baby food. And he, he, you, you cannot, he, there's a rhythm. And it gets everywhere on his face. Bananas and all that. Carrots look nasty. But she feeds him. And if she misses the, the rhythm and doesn't get a bite in his mouth fast enough, he don't, he, he don't just like, oh, it's ha, 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 and you got to calm him down and don't let him do that. Just put his food in his mouth. If you give it to him while he's crying, he's going to choke to death. So he, when, babies do not cry dispassionately. Neither should God's children cry dispassionately. We need to cry out to God with passion. That's why we talked about passion in those years so many times. Passion drives you. It, it makes you go places you didn't think you wanted to go. It'll make you live somewhere you swore you'll never live. Why? Because you fell in love. And passion will dominate your life for that time period. And that's good. 
I've been pretty passionate for 47 years. And if she'll put up with me, I'll go for 49 or 50 maybe. But when you get that on hold music, here's what I'm saying. I want to say it's sometimes heaven says, uh, we're going to have to put you on hold. And you're wanting to make, make tracks. If You think that the children of Israel would have been happy if they knew uh, and by head knowledge what we now know that there were only 30 days journey from, the, from Egypt. It, it, took, it would take 30 days to walk in straight line to the promised land. 30 days. That's, that's a pretty long walk, yeah? But it's certainly not 80 years. That means they spent... Seven years and 11 months wasting their time. I'm not sorry. It's 80 80 and 80 minus one, minus a month. So 80 years, what? How many? I've got to know. No, 80 years. How many uh, months are in 80 years? There's 12, it's 12 times 960. Okay, double that because it was it was forty and forty. So that's it. That's what? No, you have to double that number because it's that's that's at forty years. Or did you do eighty years? Okay, okay. and so it's how many months? One thousand nine hundred and twenty months. Subtract one for that. It was it was it twenty or twenty one? Okay, subtract one month from that. And that's how much time they wasted when they could have arrived at their destination in 30 days. But the problem is, if he got them there, they didn't have enough faith to swat a fly off a sugar bowl. They didn't have enough faith to conquer Jericho until the second time around. So God sometimes puts us on hold because he's trying to develop something inside of us. That when he develops that, he says, now I release you. And he comes back on the line and gives you some marching orders. And so this, this, this particular moment right here is, a, I love this moment in their travel of the, the, um, the Israelites. Then we turn back. What does that mean? Turn around. We turn back. Yeah. Some people need to turn around. Yeah. I'm serious. Yeah. There's some folks need to turn around. Yes. And don't be afraid to just say, can I, can I help you with that? Are you lost? Oh, wow. Yeah. We used to go witnessing all the time. That was the question, are you lost? And people said, no, I'm not lost. I know where I'm at. I said, okay. Uh, talk about the, the heavenly journey. And you know, it's, it's just kids. We were doing, we're doing what we could. So some people are lost and don't know it because they're making money, but they're not making progress. Their lives are still a mess. Their relationships are all in tatters. Nothing is working for them. Or they got enough money to pay for a psychiatrist and psychologist that'll take, take, try to take the heat off of their, their mental stress off of them. But you don't have, there's, there's not, you, behind the, the, the facade of a man or a woman is just a shell, an empty shell. Yeah. They're desperate. And you're the, you are somebody's answer. Yes. Have you ever just, I, I've had to do this sometimes, traveling as much as we have, been driving, and before 
uh, Siri and before Apple Maps and Google Maps and all that, we had to do it the old-fashioned way, pull out a map. Okay, I grew up driving by maps. I still like to look at a map sometimes. I, I know Google, but I don't always trust that lady. She talks with a British accent. I'm not, something I'll write about that. But I've tried changing mine. I got it up to Australia, and that's not good either. But, but we, now we just consult with Google Maps or Apple Maps or whatever and, and know where to take the right turn. Thank God for that. You know what? You have a spiritual compass inside of you that points you. If you will pay attention to what... How your spirit moves. Oh, that, that's good. That's a positive move. Oh, that's, that's, that's bad. Don't do these things and do these things. That's pretty simple, isn't it? But you've got to learn to hear that voice inside you. And that's the purpose of the journey. They had to learn how to hear God's voice so they were, would not be afraid of giants the next time they got there. And I'm talking to you. There's giants occupying the land that is promised to you. They're giants. But when Joshua got to those giants, do you know what they said? We're on the Lord's side. You know, I personally believe this, that when, the, when Israel approached the Jordan River the first time after 40 years, when he approached the Jordan River the first time, that God sent a battalion of angels ahead of them to the first city they would encounter was Jericho. And those angels were unemployed for 40 years. The, the angels are sitting around sharpening their swords, drinking Starbucks, <laughs> hanging out. And, uh, uh, but they were angels sent by, on assignment by God. And when Joshua... Joshua Joshua had the craziest, wildest faith of anybody in the Bible. Wow. I, I'm, I'm convinced of that. I've, I've studied the book of Joshua for some years now. and I, I know it intimately and passionately. And I, he was crazy. Yeah. And he was godly. And you didn't want to get in his way. So there were giants in there. How do you know? Because angels, listen, we, we have this mental worldview of angels as tiny little babies in a cloth diaper, <laughs> flapping their wings, and shooting arrows. Oh, I love you. That is a Western worldview of angels. But that is not what angels look like. I'm going to tell you, if you ever meet an angel, the first thing you're going to do is wet your pants. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that whenever, every time a, that a man had an angelic encounter, it knocked him slap down. Why? They were standing a little too close to that buzz of electricity. And they said, duck. When we duck into the posture of worship, then we're all is good. We're grounded. <laughs> I don't know if you understood what I just said, but I, I, I spoke that for some other people. There's such a prophetic anointing on me right now. I can hardly stand, and I'm telling you. I know, I know, I know. I know in my knower. I, I can't, can't even articulate all that I know. I don't have the words for all that I know. God's going to give you promises that are so big, it stretches your vocabulary to explain them. 
when they got, finally got into the promised land, they said, it's better than we thought. Wow. <laughs> so you are on a journey to turn this church in, really into dwell church where you're, 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 we used to sing an old song, I'm camping in, uh, in Canaan. Yeah, camping, well, I don't, I get, is that, you remember? No, camping in Canaan. Oh, that was a Pentecostal one, sorry. He was Church of God. You remember? Camping in Canaan, that's old, 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 1920s, 30s. I grew up singing some of that. And uh, what they were talking about is they were not completely dwelling there yet. So sometimes when you first get to where God has promised you, you have to pitch a tent. You guys have pitched a few tents to get to where you are right now. You got it? You have pitched a few tents. and it was, You were here temporarily. You were there temporarily. You're over there. Okay, this is home. I feel it. I know it. Home forever? No, I didn't know. I don't know that. Home for a season. What season? The season where we move into dwell. Where we, we as a church graduate to the level from camping. Anybody ever gone camping? Is it fun? My wife doesn't think so. I took her one time. She, no, I, did, I was able to get her back in, in national parks and stuff, camping. We had to take the motor home. Oh, you can have a hot shower and you got a bathroom there and not have to go behind a tree somewhere. That's not camping. You know, I have camped out in the Smoky Mountains and had bears rub themselves up against me on the two at the tent. I was a little boy. I got saved that night. Because my dad said, son, those are bears that are brushing up against you. Just don't go outside. <laughs> so I grew up camping. And I, and I understand it and I enjoy it. But I understand if you don't. Because it's not, camping is so temporary. And, you, and the problem with camping is you know, that's really the only reason why we enjoy it. Because it's a temporary break from the routine of what we're accustomed to. And it's kind of a back to nature. That's, just, that's humans. That's human nature. So you've been camping and it's been frustrating. And now you are journeying and you're about to take some steps like this, this, like this right here. We have turned back. I sense a turn. I sense a turn. We've tur- we turned back and set forward in the wilderness along the route to the Red Sea as the Lord had directed me. And then he said, For a long time, we made our way around the hill of Seir. That's Mount Sinai. And they they actually circumnavigated it twice in their journeys. There's some theology, Jafari. Stole it on for free. And so Moses says, then the Lord said, I love it. I'm I'm reading it again. I want to get to this part where it says, then the Lord said, we turn back, we set out toward the wilderness along the route to to, to the Red Sea as the Lord had directed me. For a long time, we made our way around the hill of country of Seir. A long time? Yeah, 80 years. And he said, then the Lord said to me, you have made your way around this hill country long enough. Now turn north. And true, we all know what true north stands for. It's for honesty, integrity, and, and, and truthfulness. True, true north is, is all things good. Just, it's, it's a, it's a uh, what do you call those things? An allegory or something. 
Use a big word in your own head. <laughs> Every once that while that listen, I can have a little bit of fun with you, but I'm telling you, I'm I'm preaching under as heavy anointing as I've ever preached in my life. I know when destinies are being decided. I've seen it. Don't you hate it when you're called to speak with someone? It's like this, God finally told him, okay, it's time to turn. He said, you've gone around this mountain long enough. Well, hallelujah. Now, turn north. If they had taken that direction on the first day of their journey, David, they would have been there in 30 days. But they were unprepared. And God had them where he thought they were prepared one time and they came back and they caught the fear flu. Yeah, yeah. One exposure to... They, the Bible said they said there were giants. They, how, you know, we looked at them, we saw them. And Joshua and Caleb did not deny that there were giants. Yeah. It doesn't, you read, they did not deny. They just said, we are able. In other words, I don't care how big the enemy is, we are able. I'm preaching to somebody right now. I don't care how big your enemy is, we are able. Not I am able, it's we are able. We are able. Say that with me. We are able. You're going as a collective group. That's the power of a united church as opposed to an anointed personality. There's nothing wrong with the anointing, but it's, it turns massively different when it comes on an entire church. I, I predict in your future, I prophesy into your future moments in which you will not be able to breathe. I, I prophesy that, David. And where you... Here, here's what happens. We learn to hang out around wells because where he's been, he comes again. So you find a place, some old wells, and you just say, well, did these, there was, was there a revival here? Yeah, okay, well, I'm going to hang out here. Well, how long? I don't know. I'm thirsty. I, gotta, and I promise you, he will respond. I... I promise you, he will respond. When you call and you're put on hold, I don't, I don't like it when they do me like that. God had to put Israel on hold and it, it sucked time and lives unnecessarily out. that weren't, weren't necessary. Have you ever had God put you on hold? I have. He would say, not yet, son. It's not fun because... You know what you want. You know what you need. Yeah. But if he gives you what you need. That, you know, my, my grandson, he was about four years old when I first took him out shooting with me. And I taught him all about that. And, and he kept, kept saying, Papa, I want a gun. Papa, I want a gun. I said, mm, not yet, baby. I'll hold your hand and you can, you can do this. And Well, now he's uh, 13 and, and he can go out and safely operate a firearm because that's, that's the whole purpose behind that. I wanted, didn't want my kid to grow up and not know how to act around something dangerous. And if they see a gun, to report it, to do something about it. And that's exactly what he does. He's, but he's not afraid. He knows it's not going to jump off the table and shoot me by itself. I just got to make sure nobody touches it. And that's what the way we've trained him. He kept saying, Papa, get me a gun, get me a gun. I said, no, you got to wait. Finally, he turned, I think it was 8 or 10, I can't remember, Jeannie. And I was preaching for a pastor, Church of God. 
And the pastor said, I don't know why I feel like giving you this. Because she said, he said, I don't even know if you're a hunter or what. He said, but I, I just bought a youth model 410, which is the smallest shotgun made. And a youth model is short. He said, I just bought a single shot. You, you probably don't want that. I said, no, I've been praying. I want it. And he gave it to me and I took it home to my grandson. I said, God gave you that. He gave you that to prove a point. Now, he keeps it in, locked up in my office, but it's his and he knows it's his. And we go out and shoot. And he, every, every time we go, he wants to shoot his gun. Why? God gave it to me. God's going to give you some things, but if he gives it to you too early, it's self-destructive. So he has to wait. And it's that, that's why in God's transition of traveling is never about distances. It's about days. And you're coming into some days ahead of you that are going to be incredible. Why? Because you're making the swing right now. You've been around this hill country long enough. Now you're turning north and you're going where you're supposed to go. Only thing worse than being on hold is being on hold with the airplane pilots. David, go back a little bit. You remember when we'd sometimes try to land somewhere and uh, the pilot would come on and say, hey, we got a circle. There's a thunderstorm over the circle all you want but how much gas do you have that's all it's all i worry how much gas do you have because you, you know when you there can be trouble happening there and, and that's that's where you're supposed to land it delays your entry so you just circle a little bit sometimes god has you circle and it takes you a while if you're a passenger and you don't know anything about it I'm, i know immediately when they start circling i know enough left turn left turn another left turn oh we're circling I know it when, but when it happens. Don't be frustrated by circling. It's, it's meant to protect you by maturity. You will learn things while you're circling that you will use when you're dwelling. You will learn things while you're circling that you will live by when you're dwelling. <laughs> God waits until your maturity matches the magnitude of your promise. The maturity of the immaturity of their faith held them back. The maturity of their faith brought them in. Fear will keep you out. Faith will take you in. I got a lot of stuff to say. But honestly, I can't. I'll tell you just a handful of things that happens while you're on hold, while you're circling. Recognize you're not alone. Any spiritual journey by any spiritual person, they've all had to travel the wilderness. Jesus was taken by the devil to the wilderness. Jesus had to go through the wilderness. You will have to go through the wilderness. But how long you spend in the wilderness is totally up to you. Totally. You can turn a one-month journey into a 1920 
They that wait upon the Lord. We're, we're sometimes not good waiters. I preached a little long this morning. Some of you may not be a good waiter. Just sit down and relax. The plane's coming into land. The thunderstorm has cleared the field. And I'm piloting down. The other thing is use the time for preparation. David was not crowned king when he was anointed king. David was anointed king about 20 years before he was crowned king. God will anoint you with a promise that men can only recognize 20 years later and they see the glory of God on you and they crown you with authority. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this, this waiting is... Okay. Refuse to lose hope. Tell it, say, say it with me. I have hope. Because if you lose hope, it's discouragement. Now, discouragement's normal. Despair is not. Discouragement comes with being a human. A few other things come with it. If you don't, if if you don't believe me, you're human. Give me a pen. Stick your arm out and let me prick you with that pen. You're human, and you'll bleed, and you'll say, "Ouch!" Some of you are still squeamish about getting shots. But my, my oldest daughter, she, she faints. She has fallen over and busted a hole in the wall of the doctor's office. Because she, when they, she sees that needle, she can't, she can't deal with it. But she, her little baby, eight-month-old, getting all their baby shots around the house. So we're going through it. Number six, or number five said, while waiting, don't let your mind go to unhealthy places. While waiting... Don't let your mind go to unhealthy places. You, 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 you start thinking wrong, you're going to start acting wrong. And you'll delay your promise. Number six, discover the intended lesson. What, what, now we can look back and we say, God was trying to teach them, prepare them. Well, why don't you just learn the lesson? And then you can stop circling and go straight. So I, I, I'm telling you, the key to aligning your compass is don't put a magnet near it because it affects it the wrong way. If you use a magnet next to a, an old floating compass, it ruins it. It's forever ruined. It, it takes months for it to, to magnetism to wear off because it's so finely calculated to point north. Why does, it always, why does a compass always point north? Scientists still don't really understand that. Because is, is north straight up? Well, that's in the atmosphere. Or is north straight forward? Well, so we've just kind of adapted to what it is. But the progress that you're going to make in the, the, the progress that you're going to make in the next few months will be immense and will be momental, monumental. You will become overcomers not undercomers. You will celebrate faith and expel fear. You will walk into the promised land. You don't have to wait 40 years, which is a whole generation. God is ready to take you on a 30-day journey. I don't know what that means, David, but you'll figure it out 
You're going to get some direction in the next few weeks. God's going to take you on a 30-day journey. I don't know what that is. I don't know. With prayer, fasting, I don't, I don't know. I just believe God's going to take you on a journey. And some things are going to start happening. Uh, not everybody will be excited about what you're, you're, you're excited about. But that's okay. They, they didn't get what we got. But there's still plenty in the well. So don't argue with those that come to the well late. See, the people who received the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of the Pentecost was first was 120, and then it jumped to 3,000, and they couldn't, couldn't count it after that. You know? But there, you, you read in between the lines in the Gospels, and there was a little jealousy among the guys, the 120 that were in it. We got it first. God will slap that stuff out of you. I'm, I'm talking about not no, no baby slap. He'll whack. I know you don't believe in physicality, but you, God, God sometimes has to use our physical bodies to explain to us a spiritual lesson. Because it's all we have. Sorry, God. We, our, our knobs broke. It didn't work. You know. Okay, the last thing. Stand on the promises of God. Stand on Archimedes' firm ground. Stand. And get that lever. And I, I want to tell you, Dwell Church can move the world. You hear what I'm saying? Say it with me. Dwell Church can move the world. Nations will come to you. I prophesy it. Nations will come to you. It'll be not monthly anything. It'll be multinational. God is going to give you specific inroads to specific communities. Albanians, I don't know. Russians, for all I know. I don't care if they love Jesus. I love you too. But that's exactly what is going to happen. So if you stand on the scriptures and the promises of God, that's my promise, God. I'm going to, I'm going to have my promise. When... Uh, the last, this is the last thing I want to tell you. When Moses uh, uh, died, he was buried overlooking the promised land. On Mount, Mount, when, who, so strong. When Moses died, God buried him, and he's the only one that attended the funeral. The nation of Israel marched on ahead. Because it was Joshua's to do the next, part, the next part. And he faithfully did his 40 years and got back to right where he was. And he said, we're right where we were before. There were people in, in the, of the Israelites that had died when they were in Egypt. Okay, you got it? They have these things in, in, in the Middle East. They're called ossuaries. And it's where they put the ground up powder and bone after a person has been cremated. It allows them to make a lot of burials in small spaces, and they have these caves and, and, and crypts. And so they discover them. Os, uh, uh, I just said, os, ossuary, O S S U A R Y, ossuary. You look it up. Maybe little, maybe the spelling's a little off. But they put dried up bones. There were some of the people that died on the way, and they put their bones in an ossuary. There's some that died in Egypt 
And they said, hey, before we leave for the promised land, let's run back and get his bones because he had the promise too. And they take that ossuary and they traveled through the wilderness for 80 years carrying the bones of the believers who had gone before them because it's their promise too. There's a lot of people that's gone before you that may not see what you're about to see, but just bring their bones along with you and let them live on the promised land and dwell in the promised land. Hallelujah! Stand up with me. Come here, David. I don't know what I did, son. I don't know what God's doing. But I know God. And I know his voice. And something's happening. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.